We're closing out our series, Stereo, and for those, I want to do a little bit of review. Uh, I've done it every week, so you've gotten used to it, but, and let me give you, for those who have heard the review every week, why I'm doing the review. Uh, I review, and so I'm reviewing why I review. Wow. Okay. Uh, But here's the reason. I want this to not just be something we've heard, but to get into our very DNA and our bloodstream, and this is how we live. And what I know is whatever's repeated is remembered. And so if I repeat it a whole lot of times, chances are you're going to remember it. And then also, there's a few of you who haven't joined us for the last three weeks, and this is week four, uh, closing of stereo, and you get to get caught up. So we're in a series, Stereo, uh, Good News for a Listening World. N.T. Wright, theologian, said this about news. He said, news is something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And if you look around at our world, we said this last few weeks, there's a lot of news. Uh, For those of us who are doing the 21 days of prayer and doing the media fast, uh, I don't really know what happened this week, honestly. Uh, It's kind of scary, you know. I'm like, wow, what happened? I don't know. And I don't know who is doing what and eating at what restaurant right now. What do I do? Um, but, but the reality is, is we look over the last few months, we've seen news. We've seen s- stuff that's happened as a result of which our world's a different place. We've seen uh, news in the realm of racial tension and violence erupting across our country. We've seen things in the Planned Parenthood videos that have exposed all kinds of stuff in that organization. We've seen uh, the presidential race and what's happening there. And, and internally, I, this series is birthed out of attention. This is an internal tension that I felt for a number of months. And the tension is this. In light of all that's happening and all the things that's happening in our world uh, that's shaping how we think and how we act, what, what do I say? And what don't I say? Uh, and this is really, really important for those of us uh, that are, call ourselves followers of Jesus. Is when we ask the question, when do you speak up and when is it better to say silence? And, and just wrestling, because you see online on the blogosphere and tweet and Facebook and whatever else out there, you see everyone just adding, even sometimes fuel to the fire and looking at it. And you just, for me, there's this tension of what's helpful, what's helping the conversation, and what's actually harmful. And I think said maybe, or asked a better way is this, is what must I say? I don't know if you asked that question, but as a follower of Jesus, as a Jesus follower, as one who said, he is my pattern for living and my savior for life. If that is true, then out of that, what must I say? What can I not be silent on? And out of that, there's this internal tension for me that is move to a personal conviction. And and when I study the early church, what I realize is that same tension exists for the very first followers of Jesus. And you look at the first century and and the followers of Jesus, they wrestled with that same tension. What do we say? And they lived in a world that was increasingly hostile to if you are a follower of Jesus. So much so that they were not just misunderstood. They were not just misrepresented. They were not just... um, you, you know, uh, treated like, oh, yeah, whatever, John thinks this way. They were persecuted, they were beaten, they were jailed, they were killed 
for this one thing, because they got clear on the one thing they have to say, the one thing they must say, and, and as a result, this is so important, they didn't say a lot of other things. They didn't give a whole lot of commentary on a whole lot of other things. Because, by the way, they didn't live in a post-Christian world. They lived in a pre-Christian world. They lived in a world that had no idea. Uh, You know, the birth of Christianity started in the heart of Jerusalem, in the place where this carpenter turned rabbi, think about this, died on a cross. And then at that very place where he died on a cross, his followers say, he has risen again. The tomb is empty. And everyone's agreeing the tomb is empty and then there's multiple eyewitnesses accounts that's happening and they're looking at this and at the epicenter of where Jesus was put to death Christianity began and they said okay we got to get clear on one one thing that we must say and the one thing they called the gospel in fact, the Apostle Paul would say it this way, and the gospel is, like we said, uh, it's good news. It, it is not good advice, it's not moralistic teaching, it's not even a religious adherence to something, it's news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Jesus died, rose again, and came back to life, and as a result, all that he said is indeed true. And so that's the one thing that the early church said we must say. We can't help but say. In fact, the Apostle Paul, this has been our anchor verse all four weeks, said it to the church in Romans. Now think about this. The church in Rome. This young, fledgling church that that is in the center or the heart of the empire where Caesar reigns supreme. And the Emperor Nero, uh, just think about this guy. He, he was pretty crazy. Um, he literally set his own uh, city on fire. He was a little nuts and did all kinds of, you can read history, it's a fascinating story. Uh, but think about this. In Rome, where the massive Colosseums, where for sports, not only gladiators would come and fight, but, but the pre-show. The pre-show would be where you would have, you know, Christians dragged into the Colosseums, and, and then they'd let lions and wild animals just take tear at their limbs and pull at their flesh just for sport. And then Nero would have parties later and to light his parties in the gardens in his palace area, he would tar Christians and tie them alive to poles and light them. And Paul says this to that church that's undergoing that kind of pressure I am not ashamed. Think about it. I've been wrestling with this question. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that uh, no matter what pressure came, no matter what opposition came, no matter what anyone else said, you would stand up for? What's the one thing That regardless of what public opinion or what people at the office, what's the one thing? Do you have one thing? Do you have something that you would stand up for? That this is my conviction. This is what I stand for. No matter what the outward pressure, no matter what people might say, no matter what the uh, Facebook or Twitter might. Paul would say, "This, this is the one thing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is power 
for the salvation of everyone. See, the, the early church got clear on one thing they must say. Now, now, as we know, we've talked the last few weeks, historians, secular historians who understand and, and research the first 300 years of the church. Now, we, we often don't realize this. The first 300 years of the church, they were persecuted, they were underground, and, and there's really no explanation for why outside of a supernatural explanation why the early church exists to this day. Because the first 300 years, the whole goal of the Roman Empire and also of Jerusalem was to stamp out this fledgling young faith in this rabbi, Jesus. In fact, secular historians say it's a mystery why the early church exists to this day and, and, and what they did. And we'd say, no, 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 it's God. See, it's the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. And they would answer it this way. The one thing we must say is the gospel and stereo. Remember this? We said the gospel and stereo is this. It's not just what. It's the contents that Jesus died, that he uh, rose again from the third day, and that he was seen. And as a result, everything that he said is indeed true. But it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Remember? John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new command that I give you, love one another. The way I've loved you, by this the whole world will know you're my disciples. The gospel in stereo is not just the what, the content, but the how. Loving others the way Jesus loved us. And, and I think this is the reason why we, we actually kind of when we're talking about the gospel and that one thing, this is probably the area where we do kind of feel like a hesitancy instead of an unashamedness. We don't, we don't charge with Paul and go, I'm not ashamed. This is the one thing. My life has forever changed. I can't help but declare it from the rooftops. It's like when you're in love. You ever been in love? I hope so. Uh, but if not, then, then let me tell you, when you get in love, you're like, I'm in love. And I don't care who knows it. And it's interesting when you're in love, you tell the most random people about it. I remember when my daughter Ella was born. That morning, I show up to Starbucks at 5 a.m., leaving my wife in the hospital. I know, not a good um, husband move. <laughs> I was bringing coffee back. <laughs> and I show up to the barista, and I'm like, I'm a dad! It's 5 a.m. in the morning. He's like, going, yeah, that's cool. He didn't care, but I cared. Because I'm in love. I just saw this little being that I didn't know my heart had capacity for love like this. And wow, an explosion in my chest happened and I can't keep it in. I just got to tell the next person I see. I'm a dad. I have a daughter. Her name's Ella. And he's like, I don't care. He gave me my coffee for free. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's what Paul's saying. But I think the reason why we don't have that response is is most of the times when the gospel's shared, it isn't shared that way, is it? And we talk about the gospel in stereo with love. And remember, I gave you the illustration of the number one greatest song of the 80s, according to VH1, and I believe with all my heart they got it right. They don't always get it right, but this time they did. The number one VH1 song, greatest hit of the 80s was, help me out, Living on a prayer, that's right. Oh, Bon Jovi, beautifully, magnificent song. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I played it 
right here to myself. And the reality is, is most of us play the gospel follows Jesus with headphones on. We, we know the words to the song, and we enjoy the benefits of that relationship with God. We are experiencing peace in our lives and joy and purpose, and, and we're just kind of playing it to ourselves. And the reason is because there's another group that often plays the gospel, and they use a megaphone. And remember, I had the megaphone, and I'm just playing it through. And the greatest song of the 80s, Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer, didn't sound so great through a megaphone, did it? It sounded a whole lot like noise. And here's why this is so important. It doesn't matter, remember we said this, it doesn't matter how beautiful or powerful the song. If it's played on the wrong platform, it just sounds like noise. And here's why we can't miss this. Here's why I repeat it every single week. You, most likely, are the greatest follower of Jesus your neighbor your coworker, your classmate will ever know. And as long as you're playing the gospel to yourself, they're only hearing the megaphone version and the greatest song human history has ever heard, think about this, sounds like noise to them, not because it is noise, but because it's played on the wrong platform. Amen by myself. Okay, okay, all right, here we go. And week two, we talked about everyone, or that the words to the song, and talked about John 3, 16. This week, this week, I want to do two things. I want to lay a foundation for you in in the reality that every single one of us has a song to sing. That good news, that song, everyone who's a follower of Jesus has a song to sing, that, that we play a part and we, we, are, we are part of what God's doing there. And, and then secondly, I want to get you, I don't know if you were here last week, I, I said, I want to get you to enough. Because I think one of the biggest things is like, yeah, 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 I, I, know, I know we should be it, but uh, Ingram, you don't know my singing voice. I'm not all that good. You know, no, no, I don't know about that. Um, and I just don't know enough. I, I don't feel prepared. I, I don't, and today, I, here's two things. I want you to walk away of going, you're empowered. You're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are commissioned by him. And I want to lay that foundation. I pray by God's grace you would walk out of here and go, that's me. That's me. And and then number two, I I want you then to be able to go, I have all that I need right now to live out what God's called me to be. Okay, that's what I want to accomplish in our time. And so if you got your notes, we're going to talk about this. Everyone has a song to sing. And and I'm going to do it by diving into a, a passage, 2 Corinthians 5. And what I know intrinsically Uh, Because if your response is anything like my response, when I say everyone has a song to sing, many of us, and I'm in the same camp, I I feel this way, everybody, yeah, but everybody but me. You know, it's everybody, but you don't know my story, you don't know where I've been, you don't know my history. It's, there's gotta be an exception to that rule, and so it's, it's not me. It couldn't be me. No, 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 no. You, you don't know. It, it, there's got to be somebody that doesn't, doesn't fit the everybody, and I am that somebody, okay? So thank you very much. Now here's what I love about what Paul writes here and why we're looking at Corinthians. Do you know the story of the church in Corinth? See, yeah, I love history. I would have been a history major if I didn't go into, you know, being a pastor. Here's what's amazing. 
if there was any exception to the rule on the everybody, this would be the somebody. This church would be the somebody that would be the exception to the rule of the everybody. And here's the reason why. This church was really messed up. I mean, like, massive. You think you have problems. They had more. I mean, read it. I mean, this is fascinating. Reading, read the first, you know, Corinthians. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, and the second Corinthians, another letter to Paul. He's just addressing problems in the church. Problems like when you take communion. Like, really, stuff we don't take, we take for granted. When you take communion, don't get drunk. Okay, thank you very much. I thought everyone thought about that. I thought we had that agreed upon, that when we're taking communion, and, and so here's what would happen. The rich people would come early to church and, and have communion, <laughs> and they would enjoy communion. And then the poor people would come, and they would have no communion. In fact, they showed preference in their services, whether you're rich or poor. I mean, there's some weird stuff going on. There's one family, the guy sleeping with his mother-in-law, and all kinds of stuff going on. You're going like, seriously? This is one messed up church. And if there's an exception to the somebody of the everybody, this would be the church. And if you're feeling this morning like, okay, I I might be the exception. Listen to the words of Paul to you, to me, that everyone, everyone has a song to sing. Listen to what Paul says. All this is from God who reconciled, circle that word, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, underline ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling, circle that word again, we're reconciling, there's something about this happening, there's a reckoning happening, the world to himself in Christ, now this is so good, this is so good, not counting men's sins against them. What's the end problem? Product of a historical event when Jesus died on the cross and was rose again, that historical event that 500 eyewitnesses saw, that there was the empty tomb that happened in the heart of where he was killed, is that as a result, God does not count men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, now underline this, the message of reconciliation. We are. <laughs> We are present, active, currently. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Let me just give you a definition for reconciliation real quick. This, this, this is so important. To be reconciled in the context here is God did the work to bring peace between he and me. I, I know it's a little Dr. Susie, uh, but reconciliation means that God did the work to bring peace between he and me. All other religions say this, you do the work. You work your way to bring peace between he and me. And when you kind of reach your level, then you've made it. But we never know what quite the, well, the level is. And the gospel is God did the work. God did what we could not do uh, for us. And he died in our place to do the work to bring peace between he and me. Now here's what's amazing. Look at this. It's right here to this, this nobody, wrong buddy church. And he gave us. Paul, the apostle, didn't say he gave me. 
Didn't say, just gave, you know, those who are really super spiritual, you know, like the apostles and the prophets and, um, you know, the pastors. And he gave a few people in your church this ministry. Now listen to this. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave you a job. He said, so think about this. God did the work to bring peace between he and me, and as a result, now you have a job, you have a purpose, you have a role. You get to do the work of introducing other people to this God who did the work to bring peace between them. Uh, My wife is um, one of the greatest matchmakers I've ever met. I mean, she's phenomenal. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's uncanny how she's able to take someone and, and see like, oh, hey, wow, you're looking for someone. Oh, that's great. Well, I'll be thinking about it. And she does. She gets like really obsessive about it and thinks all about it and thinks through all these sort of things and then finds she has unusual ability of matching people. And it gives her such great joy. And so if you're single, uh, you can talk to her uh, afterwards. Um, no charge, no charge. But, but, it, but here's the deal. God says you get to do that work not just for a marriage, not for a relationship, but for a person to be brought into the presence of their creator and know that there's peace and hope and life. God says, you and I, we have a job. It's to bring reconciliation. We have the ministry. We have been reconciled to bring reconciliation, to introduce others to the God who loves them. And he doesn't just leave it there. He gives us the message of reconciliation, the gospel there. And then he says, we are. I love that. His ambassadors. We are. You may not feel like an ambassador, and that's okay. And you may not even think of yourself as an ambassador. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the reality is, is you are an ambassador. Now, if I can pry just a little bit, because I think some of us have some insecurity around this area. And so just let me, let me hit at the heart of it real quick. Um, the question isn't whether or not you are an ambassador but what kind of ambassador are you? Okay, the question isn't whether or not you are an ambassador. An ambassador simply represents. An ambassador is one who represents the nation or represents a king, represents, and we are called the ambassadors of God, and we, we hold this ministry, this job to, to carry this good news that God loves you, that God died for you, that God made a way that for that cavity in your soul that you've been longing to fulfill, and you don't know where, and you keep trying success, and you keep trying relationships, you keep trying stuff, and he says, no, 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 it will only be satisfied with the relationship with your creator because that's how you're created to be. And so when you get into right relationship with your creator through Jesus, you'll experience peace, hope, life, and purpose. And that is the ministry we've been called to. And he says, wherever you go, you, you are an ambassador. You get to represent Christ. You're his hands and feet. I just want you um, not to get down on yourself. Because I think the natural reaction would be this. I suck. And we get into Eeyore mode, you know what I mean? Life's terrible. I'm a bad ambassador. <laughs> you know? Here, here's, here's what I want to say. Would you go, okay. Uh, you can't go back 
and, and start over, but you can start today and have a brand new end. What you do today matters. Don't beat yourself up over yesterday, but you go, okay, today. Guess what? I'm an ambassador. ambassador. I, I'm his representative. I, I, I'm not going to go back and be able to redo the last two years that I just started walking with Jesus, the last five years, or maybe my whole life. And you just go, okay. As the Apostle Paul would say, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on towards what lies ahead, forgetting. Some of you need to have a God-like anointed forgetfulness because you're living in the past and not learning from the past. And that's a big difference. And you forget what lies behind, pressing on towards Christ. And you're going, you know what, Uh, today, today, today. Okay, have I laid the foundation? You with me? Good. I, I know. I can see you. Like, and, I, and I hope you're encouraged. Let me say it maybe another way. We are. You are. God's game plan for reaching this world. And there is no plan B. You might be the greatest follower of Jesus. Your neighbor, your coworker, your friend will ever know. And God says, I've committed to you the ministry. You get to be a part of what I'm doing on this planet. Everyone has a song to sing. Now, now let's talk about how we go about it. And I want you to walk out of here feeling, I have all that I need to know. And to do that, I, I'd love to just take a second And if you wouldn't mind, on your your notes there, if you have a pen, and if you don't, you can just sit and think. Uh, If you had to make a list, if you had to make a list of all that you need to know to be an ambassador of Christ, to hold the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation, those are big words, big call. Write down what you think you need to know to effectively be an ambassador of Christ. Would you take that for a second and just just write down all that you think you need to know and just make a quick list. I know some stuff kind of, you know, bubbles up right at the top for some and just, just, just go ahead. All that you need to know. Now, I don't know what's on your list. And I think for some of us, we could keep writing for days. Now, here's where I want us to go. We're not going to learn everything, but we're going to get to enough. All that we need to know. It's not, it's not all that there is to know. All that we need to know. And, and to do that, I think we have to go back once more to the early church. H- have you ever asked the question, what did the early church really have? Because I, I think we suffer from, from this feeling of I don't know enough, and I don't, I'm not equipped enough, and I haven't been trained. And you know, Ingram, if I had a seminary education, if I went to Bible school, if I, you know, somehow, you know, I, I know your dad's a pastor, you grew up in a Christian home, and you know, maybe they even put special water on you when you're born, and I don't know what happens in that thing, and, and, and it's easy for you, don't you? You know enough, you've had training. 
Oh, you know, I mean, maybe there's classes I need to take, and I'm sure there's podcasts we could learn and listen to. Maybe there's verses I really need to memorize, and um, you know what? I, oh, I probably should um, carry this around everywhere with me, but have you ever just thought about what the early church really had? Because think about this. The early church started off with all new believers, some of us are going like, no, 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 you know what I need? I need a mentor. I need a disciple, and that's great, and we're working on doing, developing some of that stuff, but the reality is, is the early church on day one of Pentecost, 3,000 people come to know Jesus, and there's 12 disciples and about 72 other followers, and they're going like, yep, okay, and then, then it says, and there's numbers being added daily. It started off with new believers, Everywhere it went, it's all brand new believers. Well, I need a mentor. I need a disciple. I need someone to really kind of walk me through and teach me and show me. And maybe there's a certain method that I can learn that will help, you know, kind of pull it all together. The early church, think about this, they didn't even have the Bible. 90% of the, of the known world in that day was illiterate. Uh, in Judaism, it was, it was a little bit lower because they were so well-educated. That was a, uh, up until age 12. Unlike other cultures, they would educate their kids. But 90%, most likely, of the church was actually illiterate. They didn't have the New Testament as we knew it. Uh, they had the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, but they didn't have those in their hand. I mean, we have it in our pocket. I carry it around in my pocket. And, and they didn't even have that. They didn't have the walk with it. They, they had letters that were sent to individual churches, and they were circulated. They were passed around. So Paul would write this letter to Ephesus, and they would get it, and they'd go like, oh, this is great, and so we're going to pass it around. And one rich benefactor, and see, there is a place for rich people in the church. And there's one rich person, and he or she would pay for a copying because manuscripts are expensive, and it was a big deal, and pay for a copy of that to be passed around. And so one church would have a copy of a letter, and they might collect a couple letters of the writings of Paul, and they'd have the Hebrew scriptures at the local synagogue. And this is what they had. In their daily life, they didn't walk around with, you know, I got a podcast, and you know what, I, I'm listening to worship music, and uh, you know, I have, I, I got a Bible in my pocket. So, let's just look at, I believe there's three things that the early church had, and what they had, we all have right now. It's what they did with what they had that transformed the known world and we live in the aftershock. And the question today isn't do you need to know more, it's what you do with what you already have. First thing the early church had, and this is what we have, they had the power of the gospel. Back to our anchor verse, remember this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? Power of God. This is so important because I think sometimes we wrestle with, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, don't, I don't have a good method. The ministry of reconciliation, the power of of the ministry of reconciliation, think about this, is not in a method. It's in the gospel. 
The gospel is powerful, not a method. The gospel is powerful, not a messenger, not a person. See, there's something so powerful when you just simply tell the gospel. See, something has happened as a result of which the world's a different place and my life has been changed. Can I share that with you? The gospel that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, and then he actually came back to life. And it's a historical event that you can go and research. And if you're on the fence and you're wondering about it, I'd encourage you to read. Uh, it's out in the lobby. Did Jesus really rise from the dead by William Lane Crank? Because the best explanation for the facts is that he indeed did rise again. And all of Christianity hangs on that. You can throw this whole thing away. If he didn't rise, everything he said is a lie. If he did rise, then he deserves your lordship, my lordship, and he will give you new life. The gospel, the gospel is powerful. I said it this way. The message is powerful, not the method. The message, the gospel is powerful, not the messenger. Well, what if I make a mistake? say the wrong thing. Have you ever thought about what if you don't? What's at risk if you don't? See, because it's not about you. Even, so let me get honest with you. I pray that God will use me and God will speak powerfully and what I get convicted of is that my prayers are about me. No, no, no. Who cares if you think I'm a good communicator? I pray God will work powerfully in you. What if you started caring less about what others think about you and began to care more of just about who others are and where they're at? It would change how you engage them, change how you walk with them. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink of it. And the application here, this is just a question I'd ask you to wrestle with. If the gospel is powerful, are you clear on the gospel? Are you clear on the gospel? Get clear on the gospel. Week two, we got clear on the gospel. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe, whoever would put their faith in Jesus would have life and not death. Uh, the second thing that the early church had was not just the gospel, but they had the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8 talks about how the church began. And he said, and you will be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, now listen to this. The first command of Jesus, and we get so gung-ho on go, and I think that's really important. Yeah, go make disciples, and we got to go. But the first command to Jesus was wait. Wait for God. Holy Spirit. See, the early church said, okay, the gospel's powerful and my life's been transformed by it. And we could go around and share stories of how our life was transformed by the gospel. But they also had the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul would later say it this way, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Peter would say it this way, uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Think about that, his divine power. Same power that raised Christ from the dead still lives inside 
of you. Resurrection power. If resurrection power lives inside of us, then resurrection things should be happening around us because we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says his divine power has given us not some things, not a lot of things, everything we need for life and godliness. I think, I think some of us, I, I think if we're not experiencing the empowering of the Spirit it's chances are we're not following the promptings of the spirit if we're not experiencing if you go okay yeah i get that but i i'm not experiencing the empowering of the spirit i'm not experiencing resurrection power in my life i'm not experiencing that aliveness of wow god changed me and i can't wait to just share it i'm god's opening up doors and opportunities chances are we are not experiencing the power of god is because you're not responding to the promptings of God in your life. Let me, let me just share a verse with you and, and how to do that. Uh, Colossians 4 says this, devote yourselves to prayer. The first step, first step of experiencing the power of God is devoting yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Yesterday, Jenny sent me a text. She was on a mommy date with Ella, and she said this, Ella and I stopped at the garage sale at Willow and Carolyn. She does that a lot, garage sales that is. Uh, and from there, own, uh, uh, Carolyn, and the mom there owned Gabriella's bridal in Campbell and closed it because her daughter got cancer. They're doing a lemonade stand and raising money for it. If you get a chance, you should go meet that sweet family. I'm going to start praying for them regularly. Now listen to this, don't miss this. I literally just asked God to put someone in my path to encourage and love. Love that. It, yeah, Holy Spirit prompted me because I started praying for it. I started asking, okay, God, would you bring someone along my path? And lo and behold, a garage sale, just a normal day, just something that she does all the time, God opened up a door and answered her prayer, and she was available to be there and said, okay, now I'm going to be praying for you. And there was a prompting of God. And I just got to tell you, for those of us who are doing the media fast, aren't you experiencing the prompting of God a little bit more clearly? Because you got the distractions out and you're starting to hear God. I know I am. It's so helping me hear the voice of God. But you want to experience the promptings of God, you got to start praying. Your prayer life, my prayer life, like reveals just how dependent we are on God. God, what? You want to experience the power of God, you got to depend on the power of God. Prayer is the pathway to intimacy. Prayer is the pathway to experience the power of God in your life. Devote yourself. Devote yourself to prayer. Now listen to this. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Well, okay. You're like, right, nobody around me cares. Right, nobody, I mean, this is the Silicon Valley. Come on, man. This is tough. I've heard this. It's tough soil. It's hard soil. You know, it's a tough plowing. Are we praying for open doors? I know some people are just trying to kick down doors, but are we praying for open doors? I tell you, I invite you to pray with us as a church. As a church, and we're meeting uh, with our leadership, and together we said, okay, this fall, we want to believe God for bigger things than we've been believing him before. We want to believe God that 50 people would step into a new relationship with Jesus just this fall because of our church and because we begin to live this out. We're going to be praying for open doors. Would you pray with us for open doors? Or you go, God, would you open? I mean, Paul had to pray this. The apostle Paul, he's asking other people. Think about that. 
Spirit of God works when you invite others to pray with you. Would you pray for me here? By the way, I'm living out my faith in such a way I need you to pray for me. Oh, that's it. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Pray for open doors to our message so that we we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now listen to this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Let me just say this real quick, a little side note. Some of you are going to hear this message and you're going to get fired up, and you're going to respond the way I did at 18 when I first got my life changed by Jesus. Now, I did grow up in a Christian home, and I, uh, but it wasn't until I was about 18 years old that my faith became my own. In high school, I did my own thing, and I had an encounter with Jesus that wrecked me and wrecked me ever since. And then as a result, I began to share Jesus just real simply with my friends, and they started coming to know Jesus, and then all of a sudden, what happened was I became one of those Christians. I became obnoxious. I became the guy that had, because, I don't know, strength finder competition is high up in my strength finder. I have to win, and sometimes win at all costs. And all of a sudden, the gospel and talking to people, whether it's a coffee shop or anything, I had to win, and I wanted to win, and I'm going to win this argument, and the goal wasn't winning. It never was. It was introducing. Our goal as followers of Jesus is not winning it is introducing people to Jesus. Hey, here's my, here's my Savior. Can I introduce him to you? And I argued, and I was one of those, and it says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of your opportunities. It's amazing when you start to pray for open doors that you start to then realize, oh, there's opportunities all around me that I've been missing. Uh, Friday, my wife and I were at an estate sale. And she loves estate sales. It's interesting, the two people that get really excited about um, death, it seems to be Christians because of the resurrection, uh, and then people at estate sales, you know? And my wife, you know, she gets really excited. She's like, oh, an estate sale. I'm like, I don't think you should be clapping for that. But nonetheless, we're there, and there's a whole estate sale type people, you know, that love estate sales. And they're intense, man. You do not cut in line. You do not, you have to follow the protocol. I'm, I'm a rookie, okay? And so we're in line there, and I'm wearing my Verve shirt, and so I show up, and I'm walking through this, and I'm feeling kind of out of place, but I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into the state cell mode. I'm going to find these things. All right, I got it, all right. And, and looking around, I go into this one room, and I'm not with my wife, so I'm feeling a little out of my comfort zone because I don't know what to do without her. And, and, then, and then this lady's going, oh, hey, the Verve. You like the Verve? I'm like, yeah, my husband loves the Verve. In fact, he has a shirt over. I'm like, where do you live? Palo Alto. I'm like, it's just over. And st- okay, whatever. I, I guess you can ship it over. Um, but, and then we talk about it. She's like, do you, you like the Verve? I said, absolutely. I love the Verve. They, they give free coffee to our church. I work at a church. Oh, you do? Well, that's amazing of them. I said, I know. They're incredibly generous, aren't they? Yeah. What, what does your church do? And she began to ask me, do, do you, are you engaged in the community in a way? And I began to tell them all the things that we do here at Del Mar. She's like, that's amazing. And we began to have this Jesus conversation in the middle of an estate cell as we're talking there as rooms and people are coming around and we're talking about God and church and Jesus because of a verve shirt. Pray for open doors and 
God will open opportunities. You just got to be ready for them and see them as they come along your path. That's what it means to be open to the Spirit, and you step into the promptings of the Spirit. Yesterday, I was at uh, Trader Joe's, and, and I, I don't like going to Trader Joe's, especially when we're doing the Daniel fast and get to see all the things I cannot eat. Uh, and I'm with my boys, and I'm already kind of grumpy because I'm hungry. And, and so then we go in there, and I get to my register, and they're always so nice at the register. I don't know where they get these people. They're fantastic, right? Um, and, and so as, as I'm being greeted, this guy goes, do you have any plans this weekend? And then the Spirit of God prompted Hey, Ingram, you're a pastor. <laughs> you have plans this morning, this weekend. I said, as a matter of fact, I do. I told him this, what we're doing Saturday, and I said, and Sunday I'm going to church. You know why? Because I am so excited to gather with those of us who believe and who are searching and to celebrate what God has done and he's changed my life and I hope he can change your life. And it wasn't some weird conversation, but just the reality is I have a savior who saved me and so he comes up in common conversation because I'm excited about him just the way my wife comes up in common conversation because I'm madly in love with her. And by the way, I don't know where that conversation went. I don't, I, I don't know what happened. We just had this quick little conversation. Is the prompting of God, here's what I'm, you obey the prompting, let God be in charge of the product, okay? And you just go, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. Here's my, res-. and then God, you, you're in charge. I don't know what he's doing with it. But maybe that guy had a little thing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in charge of the results, Early church had this, the power of the gospel, the empowering of the spirit. And if you're not experiencing the empowering of the spirit, chances are you're not following the promptings of the spirit. And would you today, the question is, would you start just listening to the promptings, just going, okay, every time I sense that, I'm just going to step in. And it might get messy. You might not do it all. It's cool. And then finally, the last thing they had was the testimony of transformation. They had the testimony of transformation. In fact, Acts 1, remember that passage we just read? It said, and uh, go back to it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That's the Greek word, uh, materion. Uh, again, then we go to 2 Timothy, where Paul's writing says to, that we read earlier, for the Spirit of God uh, gave us, uh, does not make us timid, but gives us power of love and self-discipline, so do not be ashamed of our testimony. Same word, witness, testimony, martyrion. Um, it means to witness or testify to what you've seen, heard, and experienced. You can already tell where our English word of that Greek word comes from, martyrion. What, what's that word? Think about it. Martyr, that's right. Because the early followers, their witness to what Christ had done in their life so often connected them to being killed for their witness that today our word for that Greek word is martyr. What a testimony. Because they lived out what Paul said, so I'm not ashamed, and here's my testimony no matter what it costs. Here's the one thing I can't keep silent on, and I'm not going to give commentary on all this other stuff that's happening, but I have a story to share, and the story is how Jesus changed my life. See, if you're clear on the gospel, walking in the power of the Spirit, 
and then you simply have his testimony how God changed your life, you have all you need to know. It's all the early church had. You're clear on the gospel, empowering of the spirit, and then the testimony of transformation. Your testimony, your story is irrefutable. I can't argue with your experience. I I may not believe it, but I can't argue. It's your experience. It's your story. We want to get into all these battles and all these intellectual arguments, and there's a place for them. I love them. That's the way my mind works. If you want to have them, great. But, but, gospel, power of the Spirit, and your story. Let's go here. Listen, listen. I, yeah, those are great questions. I don't know the answer to a lot of those. I got some reading to do. But here's all I know. This is how my life was. This is what happened when I came to know Jesus. And he changed my life. You do with it what you will, but this is how my life was. This is how I came to know Jesus. And, uh, This is what I'm experiencing now. See, if we would just begin to embrace that you have a story to share, that your story matters. In fact, a friend of mine talked about it this way, that we we have to steward the stories of God. Your life is a stewardship of the story God is writing in you. Just real briefly as we close, give you three ways to share your story. Learning to share your story, just start with before. What was your life before? This is Because we're all before Christ, searching for something or someone to satisfy, searching for something or someone to fulfill, searching for peace and purpose. Every single one of us has a God-shaped hole because we're created for our creator. And when that peace is lacking, we're trying to fulfill it. This is my life before and how I found that empty. And then how? How did you come to know Jesus? What were the questions you wrestled with? What were the conversations you had? What brought you to the point where then you gave your life to Jesus? And then now? Now. What what does life now with Jesus look like? What's the change? What's the transformation? What's the new life? Story of hope and life. Before, how, now. It's easy to remember. Before, how, now. I know, Dr. Seuss, I've got young kids. They're getting older. I guess we don't read those anymore. Entrepreneurs have a, uh, what they call an elevator speech. They have a 45-second speech prepared for, you know, if they get in front of someone about something that they could talk all day about. Those of us who have experienced the grace of God have a story we could talk all day about. Some of you are going like, yeah, Ingram, you could use that 45-second speech right about now. Thank you very much. I get it. But would you do that with your story? Would you write it out in 100 words or less? So that when God opens the opportunity because you've been praying and walking by the Spirit and you pray for an opportunity and someone begins to ask you questions or you begin to ask them about their life, that's a powerful way, by the way. Just ask people about their life, get to know them, and they might just ask you about your life. 
And you have a hundred words before, how, now. Those three things is all the early church had. We have access to so much, and I think sometimes it complicates things. And sometimes it makes us feel inadequate. You are an ambassador of the King Most High. Starting today, you get to go, okay, I have all that I need to know to be an effective ambassador for Him. Question is, will you? Will you start to pray? Will you start to seek God? Will you start to look for opportunities and step into those moments? It's scary, I know. My heart still pounds when God opens some of those. I mean, just telling you like the story with the Trader Joe's guy because he started out with the question. I didn't tell it fully. It sounded better than it was. Um, it's, he asked me, he's like, do you have anything going on this weekend? And I'm like, no, not really. That was my first response. And then it was that prompting. And I was like, well, actually, we got some stuff later today and then going to church and we had a cool conversation. I get it. Some of you this morning as we close, you are in the before. And this moment is the how. And, and I just want to pray for you and invite you, today is the day of salvation, that you would step into a relationship with the God of the universe. And so if, if you would just pray with me, and everybody together, and, and if you would just pray with me, and if today you're just going like, that's the first time I've heard the gospel that a God who who brought peace between he and me. I want that peace. If you're in a place where you want to start a relationship with Jesus, would you, would you just raise your hand for me so I can pray for you and pray over you? I don't know if there is, but I, I do want to pray for you. Cool. If you're in a place where you're want to begin a relationship with Jesus, just a simple prayer of this. God, today I give my life to you. I believe that you came for me, that you died for me, and that you rose again. I invite you into my life. Will you give me new life? Today I make you the Lord and Savior. And I, I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. But I, I say I'm going to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me and making me new. And then for those in this place today, you, um, you're in a spot where you're going, hey, I've, uh, I'm ready to be an ambassador. I have all I need to know. I just want to pray for you. God, would you make us a church that doesn't just talk about good news, but our lives express your good news. And may we live out such faith that it's irresistible because our love for you and for others is contagious. In Jesus' name, amen.